something to talk about, something to think about. The world gives you all sorts of distractions from thinking on these things. <laughs> Amen. But not today. Turn, if you would, to John, or sorry, Luke. We were in John last week. Luke chapter 17. Let's like clean up the area here, get things working. Hopefully technology is working today for us. Luke chapter 17. Last week, if you remember, we came out of the passage, one of the most famous passages in the Bible. If, uh, <laughs> if you're in a contest to memorize as many verses as you can, I always add that one on there, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept, and we saw the Lord's, um, that was a little bit of humor there, <laughs> we, uh, but past the humor, we saw the Lord's uh, humanity in that verse. And, oh man, Pastor Bill, you know what happens when I try to talk and do something at the same time. Are you kidding me? I'm going to see if I can multitask and do this at the same time. Here we're in Luke chapter 17. So we think, we think, and I'm a little bit um, going off other Bible scholars as well, but it, it makes sense as well. I, I do try to check all these things. I don't, I don't take other people's sermons and just preach them, but... This is the Bible, and um, the whole Bible has already been preached many times. I don't know if you know that or not. And we live in the Internet age, and so there's much that you can gain wisdom from other men as well. So I try to look at three or four other men and, and uh, what God has shown them about these passages. It seems to be a pretty common, and I don't disagree with it, that this is probably the next passage in the chronology of where the Lord was, but it's not super clear. Some of the passages are a little more difficult to tell than others. But we know Luke tried to do a report that was in order, so he said. And so we kind of trust in that many times. But we're in Luke chapter 17. And let me just read the passage with you, verse number 11. And it's going to be a familiar passage to many of you if you've um, been in church any amount of time. And uh, I think the Lord has something for us in here today. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. And it came to pass as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee... And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Would you join me as we ask the Lord to reveal himself and his heart in this passage to us this morning? Let's pray. Father, this is your word. We are but your humble servants, delivering and listening, all of us equally taking in the eternal words of our Creator, our God, our Savior. 
Lord, this morning, would you do something so unexpected in our hearts and our lives? Would you open our eyes to something we've never seen before? Would you open our eyes to a part of our, our life and our heart, our intentions, our thoughts that we've never been confronted with to this point, Lord? Would you stretch us? Would you grow us closer to you? I pray that the response to whatever you show us today, Lord, will be a sweet savor as it comes from this church, a savior, a savor of true and genuine worshipers. Father, those who are in your family and Lord, maybe those who are searching or who are questioning things, maybe for the first time, maybe this isn't the first time. Today, Lord, would you get the victory in the lives of sinners and your family alike. Lord, who all were sinners, who all are sinners. Lord, who continually live in dependence on you. Lord, we love you. We're grateful, so grateful for this opportunity. Amen, amen. Luke chapter 17, as you know, we kind of jump into the context of where we're at we didn't read this verse last week, but as, as the last point in the message was that as Jesus was on this mission in the healing of Lazarus, the resurrecting of Lazarus, to show them, um, to help them to believe, everybody, his disciples, Mary, Martha, all the people that were in that area, over and over again, we see that so they would believe, so they would believe and we saw lastly that he literally laid down his life. He knew that that instance was going to be the hinge pin that would lead to the circumstances that would end at the cross, which would be here in, it'll be a while for us, but it wouldn't be a while for him. The, the gospel spent a lot of time in these last weeks before Jesus dies and resurrects. And so we'll be spending that time as well, but he's getting so close. So the last verse which will be familiar to us on the screen then, from that day forth, they, the, the Pharisees, that religious council, they took counsel together for to put him to death. This is after dealing with the resurrection of Lazarus and the fallout. They felt like it was fallout from that. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews and went thence into a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. So he went to this city called Ephraim, and we believe that Sometime after that is when this, what we're talking about today, what we're reading today in Luke chapter 17, verse 11, takes place. And so you can turn to your text there. We'll spend most of our time in that. Any cross-references will be on the screen behind me. Reading from the King James, And it came to pass in verse 11 of Luke chapter 17, As Jesus went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst or the middle of Samaria and Galilee. Jesus is traveling back to Jerusalem as, as it gets close to the Passover feast. He passes through the middle of Galilee and Samaria. And isn't it amazing how Jesus always approaches, Jesus always goes around people that others did not want to go around. He just always comes in contact with them. Somehow he always ends up there. right? We never see him with the popular crowd, ever. I think it's worth noting. Jesus seems to never avoid these people. He's always looking for the ones that want to know. He's always looking for the ones who want to believe, always looking for the ones that want to hear truth. And, of course, omniscience, he knows who they are. 
In this case, he's in the vicinity, he's in the surrounding area of Samaria, encounters another group of people, shocker, that were ostracized from society. They were lepers. We don't have any pictures of um, people that would have succumbed to the disease of leprosy back then. We know it was uh, talked about many, many times throughout the Old Testament scriptures. So it had been around for thousands of years. It is an ancient, ancient disease. The Old Testament law, matter of fact, in, in Leviticus 13, lays out an entire chapter on how the children of Israel were to handle this dreaded disease. Uh, ways for determining whether they actually had leprosy, ways for um, um, actually separating themselves from it, for cleansing, all the processes they had to go through um, if they thought they were getting healed from leprosy, which didn't happen very often, but even the process of determining whether they actually had it and what had to happen after that, and then the process that took place once they were diagnosed with it. And then chapter 14, the Leviticus, Leviticus goes into the process that they were to have just to be cleared. If it looked like maybe you had it and you were going to be cleared from that, the priest had to clear you. They had experts that were involved in this because it was taken so seriously by them. And you know, when humanity gets into serious issues, we, uh, we always create all sorts of things because we don't know. We're not God, right? We're, we're guessing and educating ourselves and... Of course, medicine has come a long way since then, but it's the same God. And this morning, uh, so I, I did a little study on leprosy. Uh, I've done this before, but it's actually amazing. We kind of put it out of our minds, but it's actually still around today. And we don't hear of it much in, I don't mean to scare anybody, but there is actually a significant amount of leprosy cases in Florida. Yeah, <gasps> I know, right? Um, and actually, I'm going to scare you even more here. They believe the bacteria that, that um, it is leprosy, that causes leprosy, is carried by armadillos. I got one of those in my backyard. Yeah. Well, don't kiss it, okay? Don't kiss any armadillos today. But even if you were to contract leprosy, medicine has advanced so much that it's real, relatively a non-issue for those of us who are in, in the Matter of fact, 95% of U.S. citizens are totally immune to it already. But we have full regiments of antibiotics that, they've, that uh, were made by some kind of Dr. Hansen. They've even named the disease after him now because he's pretty much cured it. But when you go to other countries that don't have access to modern medicines like we do here in such an affluent society, um, it becomes an issue. So you, you, this is not at all that Americans and Caucasians couldn't be affected, but you just don't see a whole lot of pictures of white people, honestly with this disease. And uh, consider yourself blessed to live in a country like that because it has nothing to do with your skin color. It has everything to do with the, the medicine and the affluence that this country enjoys as a blessing from God. But let your heart be burdened for other countries as well. As I just show you three pictures, it's all, there's, there's hundreds of them, of modern day lepers. Uh, this one, this colony is in Korea. There's a, there's a man kneeling next to a, a woman that's had leprosy for decades, has half a leg um, on one side and about a quarter of a leg on the other. Her arms are mangled. This is the life that she lives. There's a, this is not an old photo, just done in black and white of, a, of another, I think this is Vietnam, another leper colony in Vietnam. 
and uh, the hands of a man with leprosy. And this is the reality. These are modern day pictures of what's going on. Not as prevalent. I mean, we tend to in America, if it's uh, not right in front of us, we kind of forget about it. It's not in our backyard, right? Uh, leprosy comes from a bacteria called Mycobacterium leprae. Brother Clark, sorry if I butchered that. Uh, it moves slowly through the body. Literally, take, could take between 5 and 20 years to even show up. So you could have it and not even know that you had it until it starts taking effect. And if you're in a country where this is ostracized, as it would be in our country if, if there were many people that had it, that's even more embarrassing even to go get diagnosed if you think you may have it. But it affects the skin, the nerves, the eyes, and all sorts of other mucous membranes near the body's opening. I know, not very pleasant this morning. Um, you know, we visualize, and when we talk from the Bible, I don't know about you, but I always visualize, like, this is a disease where people's body parts are falling off, and, you know, it's kind of dramatized that way in movies and stuff. It's really, that's not the case. That's, that's kind of a misnomer. It, it's actually a disease that... Um, kind of burns off the nerve endings in people's body as this bacteria slowly takes over your body and you actually become like this because you damage yourself because you can't feel. You stick your hand on a hot stove, it means nothing to you. I mean, you just killed half your hand, but you can't feel a thing. You, you, you run over your finger or you get it caught in a blade or anything, the normal things that you and I associate with feeling that helps us to stay away from things, those are gone and the bodies start to get mangled, infections set in, amputation is common for these very reasons. Leprosy, leprosy. Back in this day it was very incurable, today it is, it is very curable. But even in some nations uh, that have a, a larger third world population, like India, India is, a, is the largest modern day source of leprosy. 126,000 new cases last year. Three million Indians permanently disfigured by leprosy right now. And 1,000 leper colonies. That sounds like a lot, but in a nation of one billion people, that's 0. .0000 something percent, very small even in a country that, like that that is the main, houses over half of the leprosy victims in the world. Not an issue for us. But in ancient times, this was dreaded. It was dreaded. It's even in the list of, that Jesus gave his 12 disciples when he sent them out on their initial survey trip. He gave them powers, remember, to validate the message that he was the Son of God. And, and in that list is what he said, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. I mean, this is a huge issue back in these days. These people were ostracized from general society. Even, it's even said, and I was not there, and I could not find corroborating evidence for this, but I think we've all heard this. There, there was definitely an isolation that happened there, and many have said that they were even required by law to yell out, unclean! I know we've heard it in the movies and everything. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. But the ostracization is absolutely true. In the isolation, you see that everywhere lepers are mentioned. Even King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles, as he was struck by God with leprosy, they gave him his own place to stay. I mean, you were not allowed to be around other people, and other people didn't want to be around you. But as a result, you would be around other lepers. 
And in our story today, our narrative today, we come across a group of ten lepers. We don't know if they were part of a colony or if they were the entire colony. These, it's kind of interesting. These lepers, there was nine supposed Hebrew lepers, Jewish lepers, and there was one that was a Samaritan. And Samaritans and Hebrews were, if, I don't know if arch enemies is the right word, but you just didn't hang out together. They, they hated each other. But in an extreme situation like this, you set down all those peripheral things, all those things that don't really matter, and you have a common goal, in their case, survival. And they're together, these ten lepers in Jesus' time. Think of these lonely men, poverty-stricken, hopeless. I mean, life lived and ravaged by the curse of sin, uh, running rampant throughout creation, most likely the fact that they had this disease had nothing to do with them personally. They're just living in a broken world. One of these men, uh, the Samaritan, becomes actually, I don't know if we could say the hero in the story, but the one that we're going to gain inspiration from today. And we find, this is something that um, we don't hear much about, but this disease also affects the vocal cords. And the first thing we see from these men is them lifting up their voice And if you can imagine in your mind, it probably was a very raspy voice. And so literally probably all 10 of them had to lift their voice because they were not allowed to be close to Jesus and any of the other population. They had to stand way over on the outside in the distance. But these men who wanted to get the attention of Jesus, the one who they had heard so much about, the one who had now gained an immense popularity, not long ago, maybe even days ago, had just healed somebody and raised them from the dead. These men, once they hear that Jesus is coming down through the area, they're lifting up their weak, raspy voices in chorus to gain his attention. And this is where we come in in verse number 13 of chapter 17. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Well, really a pretty short account. Almost so short, it almost seems like a parable uh, to me. It's not. It's a, it's a real story that actually happened. But Jesus didn't have a whole lot of pretense here. He didn't make them jump through a whole bunch of hoops. Um, just wonderful the way omniscient God just went right to their need and met it even though they responded differently to it. It says, When he saw them, Jesus, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. Interesting. He did not heal them first. He told them to do something. And they did it. They started to go. And as they did it, the Bible says that they were cleansed. The Bible says that they were healed. As they did what Jesus told them to do, very familiar in in the passages when Jesus was on this earth, They were cleansed. Obedience, some level of faith at least, was the catalyst toward their cleansing. All ten, says, saw they were healed. And here is where we see the difference. Ten men were healed. Ten men obeyed. All of them had some level of faith, right? Even if they didn't really know who Jesus was, they had heard about him. They had heard the fame of Jesus They had heard something that caused them to catch Jesus as he's walking by because he didn't introduce himself to them. They had heard. 
They were forced to stand on the outside, but out of desperation in such an extreme circumstance, they call out as best they can in those raspy voices to get a hold of this wonderful man that we've heard so much about. Maybe we could be healed. Maybe he could do something for us. When you live a life of misery and poverty and pain and ostracization, really anything, it's almost like that rich man, just a drop, give me something. We don't know what they were expecting out of this. All we know is Jesus said, go, show yourself to the priest. We know that was part of the process in the law to, to verify whether you were cleansed or not. But they didn't question it. To our knowledge, they just started moving. And as they started moving with that step of faith, at some level, God cleansed them. God healed them. Verse 17 um, we read that there was, further down the passage, we read that there was one that, claimed, that came back. Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? And that becomes the question of the story. Right? Where There was ten of you that went to be cleansed, and we know the story. We're going to read it again in a second here. One comes back to acknowledge and to, and to be thankful for that. And we've heard the Sunday school stories. There was one that was thankful. There were nine that were ungrateful. And we all ought to be thankful, and absolutely we should. But I believe there's even something more for us here. I think here we see a picture of genuine faith. Genuine faith. In this group, God gives us a clear picture, honestly, of most of the world's population. They only want God for what He can do for them. And so once He does His thing, we're good to go. I mean, they've just had their lives dramatically altered. And they couldn't even stop to say thank you. Now, we can all, I mean, honestly, probably understand the excitement and the one-track-mindedness of it. I mean, I just hit the lottery. It's not time to pray. It's time to celebrate, right? It's not time to meet with God. It's time to celebrate. And maybe that's what you're thinking right now. But I'm telling you, there was one man who thought the opposite of that. He thought, my life has just been changed. It's time to meet God. It's time to give honor and praise and thanksgiving to God. That was his first thought. And we have a, such a, a vivid picture of genuine faith. Such a clear picture of it in this man. I, I would like you to look back uh, on your day. And this is, this is part of my job as, as the shepherd here and pastor is to bring you here on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, and to help you as best I can through the power of God's Word to refocus, to get our hearts and our minds challenged sometimes corrected, sometimes encouraged in the way God would have us to walk as his family so that you can go back out into this world and shine bright for him. That's, that's the purpose in what we're doing here today. That's the purpose in worshiping God today. It's not for some great feeling, although you might have felt something this morning. I know I did. I mean, how can I not feel unworthy and passionate about what Jesus did for me? Absolutely, but it's not just about the feeling. It's about what is God going to do with my life this week? What is God going to do in my life and through my life? And what glory is He going to get as a result of my life this week? But sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we can kind of lose sight of that, right? And, and we just went to church because it's comfortable. I went to church because our friends go. I went to church just because we've done it for the past six weeks. 
I mean, you can, make, you can make the list yourself of why we do things that aren't necessarily because we want to hear from God. When we take on those things, I, I feel like it can be a sign that we've kind of um, stopped growing. Stop growing in our walk with God. Stop growing in the knowledge of who God is. And that is an all-too-common but dangerous place to be in spiritually. That we could come with, to uh, the presence of an opportunity to hear from God, a presence um, of the Word of God being preached in your language freely, without persecution, and we can just sit there in our own flesh and just kind of, would never tell anybody, but kind of ho-hum and did my thing today, and now it's off to whatever else I have to do this afternoon. And Church tonight, i got other things to do, etc., etc. And that was not pastoral guilt. That's just, this is the boat that we're all in. And if we're not intentional about this, like this man was, that's the way of the world. That's the way we'll go. And yes, we'll be miserable. And yes, we'll be self-centered. And yes, God will chasten us because he's a faithful father. But here we have such a clear picture of a right response to God. This man's faith is a reminder and a refresher for those of us who have been saved. You know, all ten men obviously had some level of faith. I mean, they obeyed what he had, but only one in this picture had saving faith. Only one. Now, I'm going to prove it to you from the scripture here, okay? How do we know this man had saving faith? I mean, how do we know that this man doesn't, wasn't just another guy in line with all the other people that Jesus healed? I mean, he healed a ton of people, right? There was a few passages in the gospel that tell us that he went about healing everywhere. It wasn't, that doesn't mean that everybody got saved, just everywhere he went, he was healing. He was making it known to the world at that time who he was. And there were healings all over the place. People were getting uh, exercised of demons. People were losing uh, the dreaded diseases that they had. The maimed, the lame were being, um, limbs were being recreated. I mean, lives were being changed physically. That's what happened here. Ten lives were physically changed. But one went much further than that. We start in verse number 14. I'd like you to examine this, this section with me to show you why I believe and why this passage, I believe, is telling us that this man actually got saved. It's the words that are used in the passage dealing with his healing. There's three words in this passage. We're going to read them in verse 14 to 19. Cleansed, healed, and whole. Let's deal with them individually. When he, verse 14, when he, Jesus, saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. That's the first word. Cleansed here is katharizo. It means to make clean, to purify. Literally, as these men obeyed what Jesus told them to do, they were cleansed. That is a huge deal. They didn't just get a little bit better. They didn't go on the road to recovery. Ten seconds earlier... They were with a terminal disease in that, in that time, uh, a period of time. No cure. Had a terminal disease. Ten seconds after their obedience, gone. Cleansed. Catharizzo, done. Well, that's wonderful. Physical cleansing. Totally cleansed. Went from unclean to clean in a matter of seconds. He goes on. And verse 15, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed... 
Okay, healed is a word, iomai. It means to heal, to cure, um, to cause to achieve health after being sick. So the same thing, just at a different period of time here. He now saw that he had been cleansed, he had been healed. He who once was sick now has been cured. He turns back and with a loud voice glorifies God. Fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, get up, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Well, whole there is an interesting word. And quite honestly, in the old English, it can be a little misleading, okay? It's the word sozo. It means literally to save, to deliver. Well, and that's in 1611 or 1759, whenever this revision was, that's what it meant to them as well. It's changed for us over time. Sozo means to save, to deliver. In some of your modern versions, you, re you read the word well, said well, which to me is also a little bit misleading. This sozo is the same word used 115 times in the New Testament. 96 times it's translated save or saved. 96 times. So they weren't wrong in the word. It's just a little misleading for us in modern English now. Our language has, has transformed a little bit. It literally is the word for saved. The word that all of us would say, hey, you got saved. That's it right there. This man was more than just physically cleansed, cleansed katharizo. He was sozo. He was saved. He was delivered. His faith had saved him. So here's some things we notice about saving faith through this man's response to an encounter with God. Number one, we got to move here. Number one, genuine faith is willing to leave the crowd. If you have your bulletins open, you want to take notes, there's some fill-in-the-blanks you can do to help you there. Genuine faith is willing to leave the crowd. In verse number 15, he says, And one of them, they've just been healed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Well, I don't know about you, but that would have been very easy to just go with the other nine. I mean, how come nobody else is turning? Same thing happened to all of us. I mean, is there not, can you not see the automatic peer pressure to just go to the priest? I mean, Jesus told us it would be very easy to just do what he said, right? He didn't tell us to come back. He didn't tell us to come talk to him. He didn't tell us any of that. He told us to go to the priest, so here we go. We don't know what the other guys felt, but this man responded, and he came back. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And, and that's genuine faith. I mean, look at Romans chapter 10, verse 11. Another, we have another, actually, another Old English um, anomaly right here that we're going to notice. In Romans chapter 10, verse 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, quite honestly, I used to interpret that as, well, if you get saved, you're not going to be ashamed of it. I don't think that's what it's saying, actually. The old English there kind of is misleading. The shame there is the word kataskuno. It means put to shame. That's what it means, put to shame. So it's not shame coming from your heart. It's shame as a result of your allowing the outside influences of whoever's around, whatever's around, the culture that's around you 
to not be bold about this. And he says, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be put to shame, shall not succumb to that, to not give in to those influences. And that's exactly what happened to this leper. There was the, there was the nine influencers right there in that crowd. He was not going to give in to that influence. And he turned and focused on who really needed to be focused on at that time. What an inspiration. What an inspiration to everyone that has encountered the living God. The world, from the moment you're saved, before you're saved, you're in this movement away from God. You're in this movement that focuses on you, your will, your desire, your wants, your flesh, me, me, me. We're in the me generation. I mean, they've even titled it that. They're not even bashful about it any longer. That's the pressure that you're under. When a, a person comes to genuine salvation in Christ, there is that pressure placed upon them. Shh, don't tell anybody. That would be embarrassing. But Jesus has done such a genuine work in your life, just as he did in this man's life, that you're not going to give in to that. You're not going to succumb to that pressure. It's all around you. The world may try to put you on the defense, but you've obeyed the truth. They're the ones that need to be defending their position, not you. Are you willing to stand out from the crowd and be identified with the Lord? You know, I can imagine this man um, who was with literally God's chosen people here, nine Jewish men as far as we know, he was the Samaritan. He was the pagan in the group. He was the mixed breed. It was not well respected. He knew all of that. Yet he's the one going to step out from the Christians, the religious ones, and do the right thing. And this is what he did. That is a sign of genuine faith. Number two, genuine faith desires to worship. Verse 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face. I mean, not only was he the only one that turned back, but it wasn't a bashful turn back. It wasn't a like, well, I don't know if I should or I shouldn't. I mean, he went all the way. He's going to worship. You notice that phrase, with a loud voice glorified God. Now, not for nothing... The guy probably had not much of a voice before this, and now he's cleansed, and all of a sudden, he can yell. All of a sudden, he can talk really loud. So he's enjoying the healing, but isn't that just like the world? They want to shut us up. They want to shut up what Jesus Christ did in our lives, this new life he gave us, this new boldness that we want to tell everybody, but we look around us, and what's the pressure? Be quiet. Uh, make sure you have all the answers for everybody that's going to ask you why you did what you did. And if you don't have the answers, you just need to be quiet. No, not at all. They need to be quiet. They need to have answers for what they're doing. We've come to the knowledge of the truth. This man felt the same way. With a loud voice, he comes and he falls down at the feet of Jesus in front of everybody. He didn't ask for a private conference. He didn't ask to meet him during the week, right then, in public. Genuine faith desires to worship, and this man did not hold anything back. Wonderful, wonderful encouragement and testimony to us. He fell down on his face at Jesus' feet. Notice the humility in this man. 
you have a desire to humble yourself before God? I mean, as you're examining your own life, where are your desires? Has it become about you? Has it become about the, maybe the gifts God has given you? Maybe the place in society or in career or in family or whatever it is? Has, has the emphasis gotten off track in our lives? Have we lost what we see in this man, what we saw in ourselves at the moment he saved us? Maybe today we need to refall on our face. But this is a sign of genuine faith. Number three, genuine faith produces a thankful heart. We see this in, in this man, and this is many times the Sunday school lesson that we've heard of this, of this uh, narrative here. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Giving him. It was an action. I have thanks in my heart. I am thankful in my heart. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to let it out. It's great if you're thankful for what God has done in your life, but if you never say anything, you're not doing what this man did. If this man had kept it quiet all to himself, like maybe the other nine did, it's not giving thanks. It's not giving glory to whom glory is due. Matter of fact, you could just let people think, what happened to that guy? I know he was a leper last week, and now he's not this week. Oh, I don't know. That's, that, that's great. I mean, I can't believe it. You, you healed. And Jesus never even comes up. Jesus never even comes up. I know this, this guy uh, or this, this lady was totally different last week. And, and uh, this week, boy, they're kind of walking around. They've, they've got a smile on their face. What's, what's going on? I don't know. He hadn't said anything. Have we let the world's pressure silence us? Have we let the pressure of the world um, in, in our genuine conversion to Christ, have we let it silence, stifle, muffle our witness? Have we come into a religious, cultural Christianity, into a church, and we're afraid to worship for that very same pressure? Because if I worship, if I'm out loud about this, if I raise my hand, if I, if I say amen or whatever, if I close my eyes, I mean, you, you name the list, you make the list yourself. What is the person behind me going to say or think? We're so affected by this. Genuine faith produces a thankful heart. Isn't it interesting? One of the hallmarks of those who are lost in sin and without Christ is they're unthankful. Yeah, you remember that, that passage in Romans 1 behind me on the screen? It's, it's, a, it's a passage of those who eventually, God says, are given over to a reprobate mind. But they didn't start that way. It says they knew, they had a knowledge of God and who He was just from the witness of creation. And it says in the screen behind me, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That's us, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they, we, are without excuse because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. Neither were thankful. Unthankfulness, that's, that's the characteristic of a lost person. That's a characteristic who won't recognize their Creator, who made them and offered salvation to them. They became unthankful. Genuine faith produces a thankful heart. It's, it's a result of that. 
We're grateful for what God has given us in Jesus, given us as our Creator. Is your faith genuine today? I mean, I think we should ask ourselves that. Lastly, number four, genuine faith desires to demote, that is the right word, demote self. Your salvation experience was a promotion. But a promotion of what? Not a promotion of you, a promotion of him. That was your salvation experience. You finally understood who God was and who you were in relation to God. And you fell in unworthiness knowing that this God came to this earth to lay down his life for your sins. You, the unworthy one, and offers you salvation so that you can spend eternity with him. It's a wonderful thing. It's not a promotion of you. It's a demotion of you. You understand finally where you're at. And what does God say? If I be exalted, I will lift you up. You don't have to lift yourself up. But that's not the world's way. That's not these nine men. That's not their way. It never occurred to them to turn around and give glory to God. That just never even came across their thinking. Genuine faith desires to demote self. He says, they're not found that return to give glory to God. Save this stranger, this foreigner, this person who's not one of the privileged ones. He's the only one that reacted right to this. Salvation does its transforming work on the inside. And one of its biggest changes is ownership. Now who owns you? Before you were saved, you owned you. You were master of your own life in one way, whether you were haughty about it or whether you were the opposite, you were discouraged and depressed about it. You were running your life. That's the case of every person before they come to Christ, me included. But when you were converted to Jesus Christ, when you accepted the blood of Jesus Christ as payment for your sins, when you fell at his feet proverbially in humility unworthy of what he'd done for us and accepted his salvation gift? Oh, he was where he needed to be. And you were where you needed to be so he could lift you up and bring you to himself. He is. John the Baptist uh, has this famous statement that just encapsulates all of this. He knew this to be true. He must increase, I must decrease. He knew that there is a pressure in this world and it will remain there for the entirety of your life to promote you and to demote him. That's not genuine salvation. So from the moment you're saved, that pressure is there to push that back down. There's that battle. It's inbred in you with your sin nature. It is encouraged around you everywhere you go practically. So you must come to God's house. You must be around God's people. You must be entrenched and rooted in his word to get the strength to evade that pressure, to push back, to not be the one that's always on the defensive. We have the light. We have the truth. We have the victory of Christ within our lives. We are the ones that are to be marching, not constantly defending. This man... As meager as his testimony is, this man got it right. 
And yeah, it was the first day. You say, well, we didn't hear anything from him 10 years later. You're right. But we know this. He made the first step right. <laughs> and he needs to keep making that same step just like you and I do this morning. We've read this verse tons of times, I imagine. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable, make sure we understand what that means. It's the word logikos, where we get logical from. It's true to the real nature, pertaining to being genuine. Some of the modern versions actually say spiritual worship there, which I don't, I'm not really sure why they say that, but this reasonable service, this logical thing for us to do, Granted, worshiping God spiritually is logical for the Christian. It's not something we put on on Sunday. It's a life we live. And it's just logical. It just makes the most sense. You and I are in a battle against this inward desire to rule our own life. And we have to decide who is in charge. Paul writes to this church in Romans chapter 12, you have to decide this. You have to present your bodies. You have to make this intentional decision. He understood the, the city they lived in. He understood the sinful culture that was around them that is still around us, and it's not getting any better as we exhibit genuine faith. But let's just be honest. Maybe there's someone in here, somehow you slipped through the cracks in all of this, and you'd be honest today and said, I mean, I'm not any of those things. I'm not telling you you're not saved. I can't do that. But if I'm looking at another person that has genuine faith and I don't have that, I would be going to God, saying, God, would you please show me? Would you please show me why these things aren't in my life? And then be honest and respond to whatever he shows you. I, I, pray, I pray that each and every one of us would come away from this with honesty this morning. Let's every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would. As we give you an opportunity to respond. This is what we call an invitation time here at Eastside. The piano is going to play, and any time while that piano is playing, I invite you to respond. I'm going to invite you at this time to stand to your feet, nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed, just so that those who would care what somebody thought won't be distracted by that this morning. And just so those of us who have the same flesh that we walk in every day can focus on what God has said to us through his word this morning. Christian is praying, responding to God. What did God show you today? Would you obey? Make the decision that you need to make. If you realize today that you don't have genuine faith, that you've never been saved, would today, would you respond to that? In the back lobby, we have people waiting to show you from the scriptures how you can be saved this morning. I would invite you right now just to step right out of that pew and head right to the back. They'll meet you in that back lobby. Just do it. Don't even wait. Don't be concerned about it. Anybody here thinks we will all be overjoyed for you if you got saved today. I can promise you that. If you were delivered, would you do that? As a piano plays, time of invitation. Christians, if you need to come down front, if you need to deal with God in your seat, whatever it is, Now's the time. Respond to him. Is your faith genuine?
How does it match up to this man? Are you willing to leave the crowd? Do you desire to worship? Do you have a thankful heart this morning? Have you, have you demoted self? Have you brought self down where it rightfully belongs? We know this. All genuine faith, all genuine conversion produces results. All of it. Respond to the Lord.